Chapter Twenty Five of God's Country and the Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. God's Country and the Woman by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Twenty Five. Many years before, Thoreau had named his airy stronghold the Eagle's Nest. The brown-faced people of the trails had changed it to Devil's Nest. It was not built like the posts, on level ground and easy of access. Its northern wall rose sheer up with the wall of Eagle Chasm, with a torrent two hundred feet below that rumbled and roared like distant thunder when the spring floods came. John Adair knew that this chasm worked its purpose. Somewhere in it were the liquor caches, which the police never found when they came that way on their occasional patrols. On the east and south sides of the nest was an open, rough and rocky, filled with jagged outcrops of boulders and patches of bush. Behind it the thick forests grew up to the very walls. The forest people were three-quarters of a mile from this open when they came upon the trail of the lone caribou hunter where he had stood and looked up at them the snow was beaten down from that spot his black trail began first in a cautious crouching retreat that changed swiftly into the long running steps of a man in haste like a dog kaskasoon hovered over the warm trail his eyes glistened and he held out his hands palms downward and looked at adair the snow still crumbles in the footmarks he said in Cree. They are expecting us. Adair turned to the men behind him. You who have brought axes, cut logs, with which to batter in the doors, he said, we will not ask them to surrender. We must make them fight, so that we may have an excuse to kill them. Two logs for eight men each. And you others fill your pockets with birch bark and spruce pitch knots. Let no man touch fire to a log until we have Josephine. Then burn! And you, Kaskasoon, go ahead and watch what is happening. He was calmer now. As the men turned to obey his commands, he laid a hand on Philip's shoulder. I told you this was coming, boy, he said huskily, but I didn't think it meant her. My God, if they have harmed her. His breath seemed choking him. They dare not, breathed Philip. John Adair looked into the white fear of the other's face. There was no hiding of it, the same terrible dread that was in his own. If they should, we will kill them by inches, Philip, he whispered. We will cut them into bits that the moose-birds can carry away. Great God, they shall roast over fires. He hurried towards the men who were already chopping at spruce timber. Philip looked about for Jean. He had disappeared. A hundred yards ahead of them, he had caught up with Kaskasoon and side by side the Indian and the half-breed were speeding now over the main trail. Perhaps in the hearts of these two, of all those gathered in this hour of vengeance, there ran deepest the thirst for blood. With Kaskasoon it was the dormant instinct of centuries of forebearers roused now into fierce desire. With Jean it was necessity. In the face of John Adair's words there was to be no quarter, Jean still feared the possibility of a parley, a few minutes of truce, the meaning of which sent a shiver to the depth of his soul. He said nothing to the Cree, and Kaskasoon's lips 
were as silent as the great flakes of snow that began to fall about them now in a mantle so thick that it covered their shoulders in the space of two hundred yards when the timber thinned out kaskasoon picked his way with the caution of a lynx at the edge of the clearing they crouched side by side behind a low windfall and peered over the top three hundred yards away was the nest the man whose trail they had followed had disappeared and then suddenly the door opened and there poured out a crowd of excited men the lone hunter was ahead of them talking and pointing toward the forest jean counted eight ten eleven and his eyes searched for lang and thoreau he cursed the thick snow now through it he could not make them out he had drawn back the hammer of his rifle at the click of it kaskasoon moved he looked at the half-breed his breath came in low monosyllable of understanding over the top of the windfall he poked the barrel of his gun they looked again at jean and jean turned their eyes met they were eyes red and narrowed by the beat of storm jean croisset knew what that silence meant he might have spoken but no word moved his lips unseen his right hand made a cross over his heart deep in his soul he thought a prayer jean looked again at the huddled group about the door and beside him there was a terrible silence he held his breath his heart ceased to beat and then there came the crashing roar of the cree's heavy gun and one of the group staggered out with a shriek and fell face downward in the snow even then jean's finger pressed lightly on the trigger of his rifle as he tried to recognize lang another moment and a half-dozen rifles were blazing in their direction it was then that he fired once twice six times as fast as he could pump the empty cartridges out of his gun and fresh ones into the chamber with the sixth came again the thunderous roar of the cree's single loader pa kaskasoon cried jean then the last of thoreau's men had darted back into the house three of their number they had carried in their arms a fourth stumbled and fell across the threshold pa we have done quick kistiaktak he darted back over their trail followed by the cree there would be no truce now it was war he was glad that he had come with kaskasoon two hundred yards back in the forest they met philip and adair at the head of their people they were coming to ambush us when we entered the clearing shouted jean we drove them back four fell under our bullets the place is still full of the devils monsieur it will be impossible to rush the doors cried philip seeing the gathering madness in jean adair's face we must fight with caution mon pere we cannot throw away lives divide our men let jean take twelve and you another twelve and give kaskasoon his own people that will leave me ten to batter in the doors you can cover the windows with your fire while we rush across the open with the one log there is no need for two philip is right added the missioner in a low voice he is right jean it would be madness to attempt to rush the place in a body adair hesitated for a moment his clenched hands relaxed yes he is right he said divide the men fifteen minutes later the different divisions of the little army had taken up their positions about the clearing philip was in the centre with eight of the youngest and strongest of the forest men waiting for the signal to dash forward with the log 
First on his right was Jean and his men, and two hundred yards beyond him the master of Adair, concealed in a clump of thick spruce. Cascassoon and his braves had taken the windfalls on the left. As yet not a man had revealed himself to Thoreau and his band, but the dogs had scented them, and they stood watchfully in front of the long log building, barking and whining. From where he crouched Philip could see five windows. Through these would come the enemy's fire. He waited. It was Jean who was to begin and draw the first shots. Suddenly the half-breed and his men broke from cover. They were scattered, darting low among the boulders and bush, partly protected and yet visible from the windows. Philip drew himself head and shoulders above his log as he watched. He forgot himself in this moment when he was looking upon men running into the face of death. In another moment came the crash of rifles, muffled behind log walls. He could hear the whine of bullets, the zip, zip, zip of them, back in the spruce and cedar. Another hundred yards beyond Jean, he saw John Adair break his cover like a great lion, his men spreading out like a pack of wolves. Swiftly Philip turned and looked to the left. Cascassoon and his braves were advancing upon the nest with the elusiveness of foxes. At first he could not see them. Then, as Adair's voice boomed over the open, they rose with the suddenness of a flight of partridges, and ran swift-footed straight into the face of the windows. Thus far the game of the attackers had worked without flaw. Thoreau and his men would be forced to divide their fire. It had taken perhaps three-quarters of a minute for the first forward rush of the three parties, and during this time the fire from the windows had concentrated upon Jean and his men. Philip looked toward them again. They were in the open. He caught his breath, stared, and counted eight. Two were missing. He turned to his own men, crouching and waiting. Eight were already with the log. Two others were to follow close behind, prepared to take the place of the first who fell. He looked out again into the open field. There came a long, clear cry from the half-breed, a shout from Adair, a screaming, animal-like response from Cascassoon, and at those three signals the forest people fell behind rocks, bits of shrub, and upon their faces. In that same breath the crash of rifles in the open drowned the sound of those beyond the wall of the nest. From thirty rifles a hail of bullets swept through the windows. This was Philip's cue. He rose with a sharp cry, and behind him came the eight with the battering-ram. It was two hundred yards from their cover to the building. They passed the last shelter, and struck the open on a trot. Now rose from the firing men, behind rock and bush, a wild and savage cheer. Philip heard John Adair roaring his encouragement. With each shot of the crees came a piercing yell. Yard by yard they ran on the men panting in their excitement. Then came the screech of a bullet, and the shout on Philip's lips froze into silence. At first he thought the bullet had struck, but it had gone a little high. A second, a third, and the biting dust of a shattered rock spat into their faces. With a strange thrill Philip saw that the fire was not coming from the windows. Flashes of smoke came from low under the roof of the building. Thoreau and his men were firing through loopholes. John Adair and Jean saw this, 
and with loud cries they led their men fairly out into the open in an effort to draw the fire from Philip and the log-bearers. Not a shot was turned in their direction. A leaden hail enveloped Philip and his little band. One of the log-bearers crumpled down without a moan. Instantly his place was filled. Twenty yards more, and a second staggered out from the line, clutched a hand to his breast, and sank into the snow. The last man filled his place. They were only a hundred yards from the door now, but without a rock or a stump between them and death. Another of the log-bearers rolled out from the line, and Philip sprang into the vacancy. A fourth, a fifth, and with a wild cry of horror, John Adair called upon Philip to drop the log. Nothing but the bullets could stop the little band now. Seventy yards, sixty, only fifty more, and the men ahead of Philip fell under his feet. The remaining six staggered over him with the log. And now, up from behind them, came Jean Jacquesette and his men, firing blindly at the loopholes, and enveloping the men along the log in those last thirty yards that meant safety from the fire above. And behind him came John Adair, and from the south Cascassoon and his Crees, a yelling, triumphant horde of adventures, now at the very doors of the Devil's Nest. Philip staggered a step aside, winded, panting, a warm trickle of blood running over his face. He heard the first thunder of the battering-ram against the door, the roaring voice of a John Adair, and then a hand like ice smote his heart as he saw Jean huddled up in the snow. In an instant he was on his knees at the half-breed's side. Jean was not dead, but in his eyes was a fading light that had struck Philip with terror. A wan smile crept over his lips. With his head in Philip's arm, he whispered, Monsieur, I am afraid I am struck through the lung. I do not know, but I am afraid. His voice was strangely steady, but in his eyes was that swiftly fading light. If should go, you must know. He went on, and Philip bent low to hear his words above the roar of voices and the crashing of the battering ram. You must know to take my place in the fight for Josephine. I think you have guessed it. The baby was not Josephine's. It was Miriam's. Yes, yes, Jean, cried Philip into the fading eyes. That was what I guessed. Don't blame her too much, struggled Jean. She went down into a world she didn't know. Lang trapped her, and Josephine to save her, to save the baby, to save her father did as Munito the White Star did, to save the Cree god. You know, you understand, Lang followed, to demand Josephine as the price of her mother. Monsieur, you must kill him. Go. The door had fallen in with a crash, and now over the crime-darkened portals of the Devil's Nest poured the adventures, with John Adair at their head. Go, gasped John, almost rising to his knees. You must meet this Lang before John Adair. Philip sprang to his feet. The last of the forest people had poured through the door. Alone he stood and stared, but not through the door. Two hundred yards away a man was flying along the edge of the forest, and he had come from behind the walls of the Devil's Nest. He recognized him. It was Lang, the man he was to kill. End of chapter 25